0: assume that probably all of us, we have some form of bucket list. We have dreams or goals that um, we would love to accomplish in life. But in the back of our mind, there's certain things on that bucket list, certain dreams and goals that we have that are so big, so lofty that we low-key kind of deem them impossible, right? It would be amazing if it happened, but it probably isn't going to. You know, it'd kind of be like a 16 seed beating a number one seed in the NCAA double tournament, right? Never really happens, but sometimes it does, right? Sometimes in life you see someone accomplish the very thing that you thought would be impossible for you. And when that happens, it makes us wonder, what's different about them than me? Like, what took them to that place? How could they accomplish that? And if you boil it down, it really comes down to two things. The first thing is belief, right? That 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 person had a deep-seated belief in their heart and their head that that thing wasn't impossible, but that it was achievable, that they could do it, that they could believe that it was accomplishable. And that belief led to the second thing, which is action, Right, the belief knowing I can do this led them to train, to take risks, to go for it, to achieve the very thing that you deemed impossible. And when it comes to the impossible, when it comes to miracles, when it comes to reading the Bible and faith, here's what I've seen happen to uh, Christianity morph over, over time and into our culture. You see, many Christians uh, today believe miracles have happened but they wonder, they question, they doubt if they can still happen today. Maybe you feel that way. You read the stories of the Bible, you see what Jesus did through people, and you're like, that was amazing, that's inspiring. But if you're honest, you wonder if that could actually happen to you. If God is still doing miracles today, we wonder, we doubt. And why is that? Is it just kind of like the Northeast culture where we just kind of like are skeptical of everything? We doubt, we're not sure. Or it, what's the problem here? Why do we doubt so much? Well, the truth is, is Jesus diagnosed the problem. He diagnosed the problem in his early followers and he diagnoses it in us today. He says, the problem is we have little faith. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. We're going to work through a passage this morning. If you got your notebooks, you can take notes in page 43. And if you still have your notebooks from week one and week three, I'm just, I am proud of you. Kudos to you. If you don't, you should feel bad, yes, but you can also go to the Northridge Church app. The notes are there for you. And we've been in this series called Mountain Mover, a really important series in the life of our church, a pinnacle series as we tether it to the launch of our Brighton campus of saturating the greater Rochester area with the gospel by putting another missional outpost in a community that needs the Jesus, that needs the gospel. And so next week, we are going to sacrifice to make that happen. We're gonna bring our commitments before the Lord over and above what we regularly give. And and so we're gearing up for this. And in this series, Mountain Mover, it's, it's been built around this verse, right? Just faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been navigating through Matthew, the the four locations in which God looked at his followers, his, his closest friends, and said, why? Why is your faith so small? Why do you lack faith? And the next one is in Matthew chapter 14, let me set kind of the background for you. Jesus with his disciples had been ministering to a very large crowd, about 5,000 families, around 15,000 people. He'd been teaching them and he finishes up by meeting their needs and he sends his disciples away. Let's pick it up in verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so Jesus, he sends the crowd away, this large crowd away that he had been ministering to. And while he sends the crowd away, he dismisses his disciples. He gives them specific instructions. Go get into a boat and wait for me in the Sea of Galilee. And so again, you got the same context as last week, right? A lot of guys, 12 guys, small boat, and they're waiting and waiting for Jesus. And notice the small thing about Jesus, right? Jesus just got done ministering to a large crowd, and, and what does he do? He doesn't go back to ministry. He pauses, and he refuels. He goes and prays with his Father. Something small about Jesus that we often overlook as in his humanity and so Jesus prays with his father. He sees that the boat has been like drifting out to in the Sea of Galilee. And the great news is in a couple of weeks, you'll actually get to see the Sea of Galilee with your own eyes in our next series. And so Jesus decides to go to his disciples. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, before we call the disciples wimps or scaredy cats, let's just pause and and understand where they are in their life. Okay, in this moment, Jesus gives them instructions and so they go into this boat and they go to the boat around, I would say, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., like right before it starts to get dark. We know this because previously, Jesus feeds a group around dinner time, so let's say 6, 6.30. So after that, they, they go and so there's a little bit of daylight left. They get in this boat and they just sit there and they wait for Jesus. And it gets darker and darker and darker. We know that Jesus doesn't show up to them. It says shortly before dawn, so around you know, 8 p.m. to around 4 to 6 a.m., they've been sitting in this tiny boat, crammed, going in and out of sleep, exhausted, yelling probably at each other, are you sure Jesus told us to be here? Like, where is Jesus? We've been waiting for him. They're growing impatient, tired. Is this another test, Jesus? Jesus? Like seriously, they're exhausted, they wanna to go to bed, they don't wanna do this anymore, they're waiting for Jesus to come and then all of a sudden they see a figure around 6 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning and they think it's a ghost. Like what, what, is, what is coming at us? Oh, by the way, guys, don't worry, it's just walking on the water. Like oh, and they're terrified and I know you think you're stronger than them, but you aren't, you would be afraid too. And so Jesus Sees their fear, he sees that they're terrified, and so he tries to calm them down. This is what Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Jesus is like, guys, guys, relax, it's me, you don't have to be afraid. But again, remember who the disciples are. These guys just gave up everything to follow Jesus. Right, it wasn't that long ago, and so they're in this journey of trying to get and understand who Jesus is. I mean, they've seen him do the miraculous. They've seen him like, perform miracles. They, they can't fathom. They don't understand, it. and they're just trying to figure it out in, in life, and here Jesus is like, guys, don't worry. It's me. Calm down. You don't have to be afraid. Take courage. And what's crazy is you would think the story would end there, Like, oh, sweet, it's not a ghost, it's Jesus. We're good, guys. Jesus, come on, just come a little faster next time. But they don't believe Jesus. It's crazy to me. Or at least one of them doesn't believe Jesus because look what Peter says to him. He says, Lord, if it's you, so Peter, if not all the disciples, are doubting the authenticity, the verification that it is actually Jesus on the water. Peter is like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I have spent weeks trying to make sense to what Peter asked Jesus of, and I can't. It makes absolutely no sense, logically. Because if we're all in our right state of mind, now I get it's 5 a.m., most of us aren't in our right state of mind at 5 a.m. with no sleep. But if we're all in our right state of mind, it would be as simple as this. Lord, if it's you, come a little closer so I can see you. Speak a little bit louder so I know it's you. No, Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, I'd love to walk on water. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, oh, you know what, I like Jesus, I like to just kind of climb out on the water. No, you know why it doesn't make sense? Because it required faith. It doesn't make sense, you can't reason or reconcile it because Peter is, is literally living in something that many of us miss throughout our lives called faith, where it doesn't make sense. But yet he steps up and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And I recognize in my life, In all of our lives, God sprinkles moments like this for you and I. Moments just like Peter, where he wants us to put our faith to the test. Can I ask you this in your own life? Have you ever put your faith to the test? Have you ever been in a circumstance where you knew God had to come through or you were doomed? Not a circumstance where you could like justify calling it faith and believing like, oh, okay, you know, I really did this, but I'm going to give God credit for it. I'm talking about faith that's so uncomfortable that that, that God has to provide or it won't work, right? This is Peter's moment because I don't know, I've, I've seen the videos. All of us try to walk on water, right? It's... Spring, I think, not really, but it's almost coming, I pray in faith. It is coming. It's still snowing out here. Okay, I'm just I'm just venting a little bit. Okay, guys, just let me breathe for a second. But we've all tried to walk on water, it doesn't work. And we don't think this is that big of a deal because we do it in our pools and we, we go down and we come up. This is at night, in the middle of a sea. If Peter goes down, you aren't finding him. If he goes under the water and can't come back up, he's gone. There's no searchlights, no iPhone like flashlights to find him. He's a goner. And so the risk and the faith it took for Peter to take the step was huge. And here's what I've realized about my own life and probably your lives. We like the version of faith that is comfortable. We like the version of faith where we can rely on ourselves and not God. We like to claim if faith. You see, many Christians today claim they believe, they have faith, but they're never willing to take a huge risk for God. And what's unique about this story is Peter is the only one. There's 11 other guys in the boat. What a picture of Christianity today. One out of 12 of us are actually willing to live in faith. I love this quote. It says, the problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried, and found wanting. The problem is that it's been found difficult and left untried. And to make matters even crazier and worse for the disciples is you have to understand the context of this passage. What's crazy is the disciples just saw God do a miracle and they still don't have any faith. Right, let's look at the context of this passage. What happens right before this moment? Jesus is with a crowd, I told you. He's with a crowd, about 15,000 people, and he was teaching them. He'd been teaching them all day to the point where it becomes dinner time. And so the disciples come to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, hey, you gotta stop. There, there's kids growing weary and people are getting hungry, so we need to let the crowd go. And Jesus is like, we're not letting them go, we're gonna feed them. And they're like, uh, okay, Jesus, what do we got? Uh, a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. Uh, that's not gonna work, Jesus. How are you gonna do this? And Jesus says, watch this. And so he blesses the food. And guess what he does? Is Jesus doesn't multiply the food there. He actually multiplies the food through his disciples. So he breaks that little that he had into baskets and guess what happens? The disciples take the baskets and they walk to the crowd and they hand out the food and the food just keeps coming. The disciples were actually part of the miracle. God was working it through them and then like hours later when they're supposed to have faith, they don't have any. They just saw a miracle and yet their faith was still small. Peter was the only one, the only one who said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And I love Jesus's answer. He just simply says, come on, Peter, let's do this. Let's let's walk on the water. Do you realize that God, Jesus could have easily said, hold on a second, Peter. Like, good try, buddy, but this walking on water is like a God thing, so just stay in the boat, buddy. Good job, little boy. Proud of you. I mean, God could have said that and it would have been like accurate, right. But Jesus is like, come on, come on, Peter. And that same invitation to Peter is is the same invitation that Jesus offers you and I. Jesus invites us to come live a life of faith. To come live a life that you can't add up, that you can't measure, that you can't reconcile, that doesn't make sense, that you won't have all the answers to your questions, to live a life of the miraculous, the impossible, to live a life of faith daily, regularly. Jesus says, Come on, let's do this together. Come on, Peter. And look what happens. It says, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine this moment for Peter? As he steps out of the boat, and is like, oh my goodness, I am doing this. Can you imagine what the other 11 disciples are thinking, like, whoa, is Peter, is Peter actually walking on water? What, what is happening? And it would quickly change. It's amazing how, faith, how fast our faith can disappear. Right, verse 30, don't miss this. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Man, don't miss this, this, this moment in the text, right? He saw the wind, right? For, for a moment, Peter ignored the wind. It's not that the wind just randomly came at this moment. No, for a moment, when he was living in faith, he had the ability, when he was gazing on Jesus and his focus was on his righteousness and his kingdom, he didn't see the wind. But the moment he took his gaze off of God, the wind started to hit him. He saw the wind, felt the wind. His circumstances became bigger and bigger to the moment where his faith Diminished and his fear grew. Where his worry and his anxiety overcame his faith and what happened? He began to sink. Lord, save me. And we we get this, don't we? This is so true in walking with Jesus where there's moments where God calls us to faith. We're ready to go for it. Yes, God, I'm in. And then all of a sudden we feel the wind. The wind of our circumstances. The wind of, of, of trouble and tribulation, the wind that the enemy pushes in our life. and you know what often happens? the wind wins. And we lose our faith. God, I wanted to, I wanted to go for it, but, but you don't understand, God, the circumstances my circumstances. You don't understand what happened. And the wind wins, and our fear rises and our faith diminishes. Peter sinks says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hands and caught him. And he says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And man, I, verse 31, just, it has hit me so hard. Because what's so amazing is Jesus looked at Peter, who had the faith in the story, and says, you of little faith. And it makes me wonder, and when he looks at my life, What will he say? You of no faith? I mean, what would he say to the other 11 disciples sitting in the boat, right? Like you of non-existing faith? Because fundamentally, what we have to understand is when we claim faith, it has nothing to do with us, right? It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with the wind. When we live in faith, it is all about our trust in three things. The first one, who God is. That when we live in faith, we are banking on God as provider, as as healer, as overcomer, as as the victor. We're banking on God that he is good and his way is perfect no matter what he leads us to. When we live in faith, we're banking on what Christ has done for us, that he defeated our greatest enemy in our sin through his death and his resurrection, something we're going to celebrate in Easter in a couple weeks, and we're banking on that. We're trusting in that. The third thing is we're trusting in what God can do that he can overcome any situation and any storm in your life, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you can't see it. Faith is, I know who God is, I know what he's done, and I know what he's capable of. And it might not make sense to you, you might not understand it, but your trust isn't in you. It's in him. And here's what's crazy. As many people think Peter failed. But look how his, this moment changed the disciples. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. And it might be easy to miss this in, in, in this scripture in isolation, but if you go back, we've been studying those moments, right? Matthew six, last week was Matthew eight. Very similar circumstances, right? The guys, the disciples are in a boat, the storm rages and, and they're trying to save themselves and Jesus is sleeping and they're like, Jesus, wake up, we need you. We're gonna die, what's happening? And Jesus, he calms the storm and, and the seas and, and what happens? They, 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 they get, they're in the boat and they say, who is this? Who is this guy that, that the weather obeys his voice? But in Matthew 14, six chapters later, something similar happens and they get in the boat and they're not asking, who is this? They're declaring, this is the Son of God. That their faith is actually growing because of the understanding of who he is. And the truth is, churches, is we are Kinda had a similar moment. This story of the disciples is running parallel with our story thousands of years later. Because in this moment, as we think about sacrificing to put a missional outpost in the Brighton community, it will require us to have faith, to do something that doesn't make sense, that the world will not understand that we can't always figure it out, but God can. And beyond sacrifice and giving generously, my question for all of us is will we be willing to step out in faith? Are you tired of living the type of Christianity that is safe and comfortable? Are you tired of sitting in the boat watching other people do and live in faith? Maybe it's our turn. And before you, before we go too far, I think it's important to understand how faith has shaped this church. Right, Northridge Church has been around for over 100 years. And the reason why we still exist is because of the faith of so many before us. Right, we're still being inspired by Peter's faith thousands of years ago. Do you realize that so many people had faith, stepped out in faith, to make what you experience possible today. If you're in the Rochester campus, you realize about 10 years ago, people sacrificed greatly so you could sit in these seats. If you're watching at the Webster campus, do you realize four years ago, many people in our church sacrificed greatly to put that missional outpost in your community? If you're watching online, do you realize people sacrifice regularly so this could be broadcasted on television and into your homes so the gospel could meet you right where you are? Do you realize that someone took a huge risk to share the gospel of Jesus with you so that you could be here today with your eternity secured? Because sometimes, The faith of someone else inspires our faith today. And I wanna share a story of faith that happened four years ago.
1: Hi, we're the Sasso's, I'm Samantha, this is Alphonse, and we've been attending Northridge Church since about 2010. We currently attend the Rochester campus
2: yeah so i would say for me um observing my mom and dad my entire life they have been probably the most incredibly like generous people that i've ever observed firsthand and whenever there is Uh, somebody who gets sick or somebody in need, they run towards, you know, giving and being generous in that arena, whether it's baking food for people and, you know, blessing them that way, or if they see less fortunate on the streets, my mom used to you know, make certain to put care packages together with money, Bible verses and, uh, you know, some clothes to keep them warm and and send it out to them, so
1: I learned generosity Um, also my mom um, served in the church for many, many years longer than I've been alive, (laughs) she's still serving but um, I've observed that my whole life and also I've been on the receiving end of generosity. Um, I had cancer in 2000 and what was it? Six. 2006, 2005 um, and I so many people were so generous to me. Um, I specifically remember one person I was living on campus at MCC and she would bring me like five course meal every Friday. I also feel like I was a receiver of God's generosity to me even when I wasn't being giving at that time financially or in, even with my time, He was giving to me and I learned through Christ's generosity.
2: When it comes to the cam- the campaigns, Early on, I have to start at the beginning because again, I wrestled with with tithing and then we finally started to be faithful in our tithe giving and doing that. And Samantha and I were newly married at this time. Now, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit. And so, you know, we're faithfully tithing and then we experience our first ever campaign and the opportunity to give beyond, you know, tithing. And again, still new in that whole journey of faithfully giving and being generous that way. But I really did feel like we needed to do something. And so it was pretty cool because for us, the journey was um, talking about it, praying about it, really going back and forth on what is the number that we're going to do on that. But also there was a lot of ambiguity because I we were newly married, we had a new house, and I just started a new job. So we really didn't know what our finances would be in our situation with any bit of predictability. And so we really needed to step out in faith to try and understand what does that look like.
1: So one day Alphonse came to me. We had already been praying about what we were gonna give independently praying. And so you know, we needed to nail down a number and start start that soon. Um, We knew the campaign would be starting and we wanted to give. We were praying independently about how much we wanted to give and then he came to me and said, you know, I have a number and I want to talk about it with you and then we'll figure this out. And um, at that time we were giving a a certain amount towards our mortgage at the end of the year and that amount um, is what he came to me with, and so I said, "Well, that's good, um, but I don't feel like that's sacrificing." <laughs> um, is, even though it was a large amount, we felt I I felt that it wasn't hard for us. It wasn't sacrificing for us. It wasn't something that we would have to you know make sure that we intentionally um, gave up things for. And so I forget how we came even to the actual number, but somehow I might have said double it, and I don't know why. (laughs) But that's what we came to. We ended up doubling that
2: amount. When the Lord finally did get a hold of my heart, the biggest transition was, it's all His anyway. And I always thought it was mine. You know, I had a wrong view of money. You know, again, the my money, my, you know, the my issue, if you will. And once I changed my thoughts and, and my thinking surrounding that it's all his and not only does he deserve our first fruits but beyond that and I will tell you I've seen that scripture live out in our lives of you know test him and you can't help give him and we have seen so many incredible blessings from it and I don't give you know to get But I will tell you, it's been really cool to see the Lord at work, and you know, this is our first time in this location that we gave to um, since it's actually been built, and it's just beautiful to see it all come together, and to know that we were a small part in that was really cool for me. I don't know about your why on that.
1: I think um, to know that there's just so many people that um, may want to go to church and didn't know where to go or didn't have somewhere that was you know local to them that um, they felt drawn to and we I was I'm confident that Northridge Church is a church that people feel comfortable walking through the doors Um, I also feel like there's not too much that us individually can do but when we contribute to such a a big thing the Lord uses just little people like us to do big things.
0: What a crazy story of faith. And there's one thing that I love about that story that is often hidden behind the scenes. They mention it in their story, but I I was there for that video shoot with Alphonse and Samantha, and it was the very first time they ever stepped foot in the Webster campus. What I love about that picture is they weren't giving to a building. They're given to a missional outpost that would bring hope to the hopeless, that would bring light into the darkness of the Webster community. And I love that picture of faith. They wouldn't benefit from that building at all, but they gave in faith to see the gospel go to another place in the Rochester area. So as we think about next week, where we bring our sacrifice to the Lord, where we live in faith. I love this moment next week because we can no longer claim faith, it's a chance for us to display and live faith. And I wanna talk to certain groups of people. The first one, if you're here and you're a guest, I want you to breathe easy, because this is not for you. If you're visiting, you're checking out who our church is, Man, I love that you get to see a picture of what we wanna accomplish, what we wanna see God do through our church, but this sacrificial giving thing is not for you. But if you're here and you're a regular attender, you would say, Northridge is my home, this is my family, and God has impacted your life through the ministry of Northridge Church, I'm gonna set a high expectation. And my expectation is that we would all, as the body of Christ, sacrifice to make this happen. And yes, our sacrifices are all going to look different, but that we would be bold enough to step out in faith and do what God leads us to do. I get there's some tensions with that. The first tension might be with this group where you've done this before. Some of you, you've done this two, three, four times. And it would be easy, I get these tensions, because four years ago, my wife and I, we sacrificed greatly for our Webster campus. And it's easy for us to say, hey, Drew, I've checked this box, I've done this, I've had faith. But what's interesting is I study the Bible and I study faith, God doesn't call us to moments of faith. He calls us to a life of faith. And I don't know about you, but what I want to be true about my life is I can look back and I can see the evidence of faith in every area of my life, not just in pockets, but throughout my entire life. Maybe to those of you who have never given before. You know what I love that Northridge is a church that you can come and you can learn about us, you can get to know us, you can, you know, explore what we do, you can sit and see each and every week and never give a dime. And that's okay. But maybe this is a moment for you in your faith journey to declare to God that, you know what, I trust you, God, more than I trust my own security or my own finances. And I get all these tensions because I felt them. Right, because Ashley and I, my wife, we've been on this journey for the last month and a half where we've been like, God, what does this look like for us? And here's something you need to know about me as the lead pastor of this church. I will never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I will never call you to an action that I won't take. Right? I wanna lead the way, I don't wanna point the way. So my wife and I, we have been wrestling and praying, God, what would it look like for our family to step out in faith? And if I'm authentic and I'm real, I can't tell you how much God has been working on my wretched soul. This journey, if it hasn't been good for anybody, it's been good for me. Because I can easily get distracted and hold on to things that don't matter. So my wife and I, we've just been like, God, what what, what would it look like for us to live in faith? And honestly, if I'm gonna be real, I feel like we sacrifice regularly. My family, every year, we give 10% of our income back to God. It's not a question. It's not something we ever wonder if we should do. I actually think it's the best thing you can do for your own personal finances. We give 10% every year. So like, man, I feel like I sacrificed taxis and I look at that number, I'm like, oh God, I could have used that. So what would it look like for us to go for it? To step out on the waves. So Ashley and I, we've been praying and when we land, we... God's like, no, I'm not done yet. And so we've just we've just come to this conclusion that we're gonna give, we give 10% away, but we're gonna give 26% more of our income back to this church. So over the next two years, we're gonna give 36% of what God gives us right back here. And I don't say that for you to feel pressure, I don't say that for you to think anything of me. I say that for two reasons. I love this church. I don't love the buildings. I don't love the programs we do. I love the people who make this church up. And I believe with my whole heart that God has us here for a purpose and a mission to take the gospel to an area that desperately needs it. And I am all in for that. I'm with you in the journey. Secondly, I just believe, I trust that you can't outgive God. I saw it in so many moments in my dad and my mom growing up where they would sacrifice and God would come through. He would provide for them. And I'm just banking on God to do the same for me. It's gonna cost our family. It's gonna be tight. It's gonna hurt in places. But I wanna have faith. So here's what I'm asking you to do through this next week. I'd ask you just to pray one prayer. When you wake up and before you go to bed, God, would you stretch my faith? Would I be willing to go for it, to live in faith? And so rather than waiting to pray that prayer, why wouldn't we do it right now? In fact, you were given two things when you came in this morning. You were given a commitment card and you were given a mustard seed. We'll use these commitment cards next week as we bring our sacrifice. But the thing I really want you to focus on is this mustard seed. You realize that Jesus says, all you have to have is faith this small. And you can move a mountain. I don't know about you, but that really challenges me. My faith isn't even this big. So here's what I'd like you to do. As I'd love for you to just right now bow your head and look at these two things and pray that prayer. God, would you stretch my faith?